The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days grew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I launch into what Jesus has to tell us today, I think pastorally I just want to know that I know that in our congregation with the momentous decision from the Supreme Court um, this week, um, there are many who are feeling relieved, um, believing that this decision will allow states to better protect life, while others feel that there's grave consequences to this decision in the life of women and um, so we all come together with various feelings about this and I want you to know there's a place at the font and at this table for all of those emotions as we gather. Um, Karl Barth is said to have said <laughs> uh, that a preacher brings the newspaper and the Bible into the pulpit every Sunday. I don't want you to think that um, I'm not aware of what's going on out there in the world. But it is also a challenge because every week there seems to be another pressing, dividing struggle. Um, and so we'll go to Jesus today and then let you ponder um, what his words have to say to you and to our country and how we care for the least of these and the vulnerable among us. Jesus says some rather harsh stuff today, doesn't he? Let the dead bury their own dead. That's not that wonderful, soft, loving, good shepherd Jesus we know. Maybe we need to tune up, though, sometimes in our discipleship. The second half of our gospel reading, um, Jesus says some rather stark things. One thing it will help us is to know there's a lot of idioms going on here. So when the man says that, hey, let me go, I want to follow you, but let me go bury my father, this is very likely his father hasn't died yet. That's an idiom that means I got to take care of my loyalty to my dad first, and then I'll follow you. And so Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. In other words, he's saying, I'm, I take precedence. I take precedence here. Um, when he says 
Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head in response to the one man's um, statement, I'll follow you. It's almost a warning. Um, Foxes is probably an allusion to the family of Herod, the Idumeans who the Romans had made like puppet kings and put in charge. And of course, if you want to have a comfortable life, buddy up to those powers that be and you'll be good. And then birds is probably a reference either to the Gentiles or to, in particular, to the Romans. So, hey, they've got nests to be, if you want to have a lovely life, you know, buddy up to them. But if you want to follow me, you may not have a place to lay your head. I've always wondered about the prosperity preachers um, who say that, you know, following Jesus is going to make your life just perfect and wonderful and everything is going to fall in place. And, and uh, I'm not so sure about that. Um, Sometimes when you follow Jesus, it actually messes up your life in a certain way. Makes it more meaningful, makes it more powerful, makes it more substantial, but it doesn't certainly make it easier. Finally, no one who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, like I said to the kid with the children's sermon, Keep your eye on him. So, so even though there's some idioms involved here, it's still some pretty powerful stuff. And maybe our discipleship after two and a half years of COVID and many other things needs a little tune-up. I mean, if, if you don't take your car and at least get the oil changed, you're, you're asking for trouble. And maybe our discipleship needs a little kick. In the, my Bible, the little heading for this section that we're hearing from Jesus today, it's the heading, which of course is put on by the Bible translators and the, and the translation that you have, says the cost of discipleship. And that got me thinking to a very famous book by a very famous author, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, if you don't know, um, and we'll get to this quote here, but um, is, was a German Lutheran pastor um, during Nazi Germany. He had come over to this country um, and visited the United States and went to school and studied and went toward lots of churches and decided to go back before the war started um, because he was so upset at what he was seeing happen in Germany with the rise of Hitler's regime and fascism. So he went back, and um, as the story goes, a lot of the church got swept up into the Nazi movement. Um, They were called the German Christians. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a part of the church that resisted that movement. It was the confessing church. And in fact, I first learned about Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, in my social ethics class in college, some whatever, 40 years ago, 35 plus years ago. And uh, Dr. Ann Johnson, fabulous professor, um, talked about Dietrich Bonhoeffer to explain an ethical dilemma. An ethical dilemma is when you are faced in this world with two wrongs. Whatever you do, there's something bad about it. And so Dietrich Bonhoeffer, as a hero, a martyr of the faith, participated in a plot to assassinate Hitler. Um, And he was martyred just in the very end days of World War II for that. But he believed that he would be under God's judgment for doing that. 
because murder is wrong, but he also believed that he'd be under God's judgment if he didn't do something. And so, so there you go, an ethical dilemma. Now, I am not, I bring this up because that's not exactly where I want to hone into. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was very frustrated with his German Christians and Lutherans because of their passivity, not just in the face of Nazi Germany, but just in the face of life in general. And he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. So now you see where I'm coming back around, okay? The Cost of Discipleship. And I know it's kind of hard for you to read. I put too much up there, so I'm just going to read a little part of this quote. He says, we Lutherans have gathered at, like eagles around the carcasses, the carcass of cheap grace, which has killed the life of following Christ. The price we are having to pay today in, in the shape of the collapse of the organized church is only the inevitable consequence of our policy of making grace available to all at too low a cost. Hmm. We gave away the word and sacraments wholesale. We baptized, confirmed, and absolved the whole nation unasked and without condition. Our humanitarian sentiment made us give that which was holy to the scornful and unbelieving. We poured forth unending streams of grace, but the call to follow Jesus in the narrow way was hardly ever heard. Mm. Strong words. Maybe we need a tune-up occasionally. But as I've thought, I was first exposed to this book back in college, and I've thought about it many times. I've seen this kind of radical call to discipleship in lots of con ways. I followed an evangelical preacher who just really kicked my you-know-what and got me out of being a lukewarm Christian. I was going to serve with all my might, and I gave it all I had. Um, and at that time, I, I remember this. This is great. Um, it, I was in college, and my wife-to-be, Sandy, um, looked at me and my fellow Christians who were going to just give it all for the Lord and, call, and wrote a lovely, caring, but interesting um, analysis in the school paper that called us super-Christians. <laughs> and she was right, because we were going to be super-Christians. Well-meaning, and she acknowledged that, but I can tell you that I burn up from that. I see the same call radically in all kinds of ways today. Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo with their red letter movement. Hey, what would it be if Christians actually did what Jesus said? <laughs> like when he says, is this maybe this is the poppin part? I don't know today. Um, when he said, when Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, if someone asks for your cloak, give them your, your jacket and everything too. If you, they say, carry my packed for one mile, carry it two. What, what if Christians actually did what Jesus said and we looked like Jesus today? Well, that's all well and good. And Is it my... Aiden, let's just switch to, switch to that. I'll, I'll try and confine myself here. Um, so, um, so, yeah, and, and it's cool, but at what point then are you red letter enough? Um, just how on fire do you have to be to not be lukewarm anymore? 
And in fact, I feel, as I often hear this, that I'm not so much like a lot of the followers. I'm like the Samaritans. Now, did you notice the beginning part of this? Jesus says, hey, send word out to the Samaritan villages. We're coming. And what do they say? No, thank you. I'm often like them. So my question is, where's the grace in all of this? I understand why Dietrich Bonhoeffer said what he said in his context and why many others. And by the way, I kind of like to do that because I think if I did that more, I'd, even with the COVID worries and the, the recent outbreak, although fortunately people are not getting very ill or mildly ill, um, you know, we could get a lot more people in here. And we wouldn't have to worry about a church budget. And we would never have to worry about people volunteering. I could just get on and say, hey, you lukewarm Christians, and hammer you. Like I say, sometimes we need a tune-up. But where's, where does that stop? Where is the grace? Well, go back to the beginning of the passage today. The Samaritans, they're, they're like... Um, no, Jesus. And so the disciples, in kind of Elijah-esque way, this is right from the Old Testament, where Elijah was that God, they rejected God's commands and covenant, and Elijah calls down fire and you know, burns them up. Well, should we do that, Jesus? And what does Jesus say? No. And in fact, if you know the second volume of the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts... Guess what happens? The gospel goes to those Samaritan villages, and this time, they are not like this. They're like this. You see, Jesus holds out a chance and an opportunity for us to receive the gospel. So, one of the Manna Bible study folks today said it perfectly as she listened to Jesus. She asked the question, I'm not sure I'm fit for the kingdom of heaven. Am I fit for the kingdom of heaven? As she listened to Jesus honestly, she wondered, I think I'm in that group that's not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Because I look back all the time. I get distracted. I have other loyalties that are more powerful and more pressing in my life, it would seem. What a horrible thing. To not be fit for the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul in our second reading said that in regard to the Galatians passage. He says, you know, those who do such things are, will not inherit the kingdom. Boy, to be left out. To be rejected. I was fortunate that when I, you know, went to college, I just applied to whatever. You know, I'd take whatever. <laughs> you know, today kids have to fight to get in and, you know, it's so powerful when they get that acceptance letter, but what about when they get the rejection letter? Sorry, you're not good enough for our school. Is that what Jesus is saying? My goodness, how hurtful, how, how difficult, but let's go back. Let's go back to the start. Where is the answer? Where is the hope for us today? Even though we get a nice little tune-up today, um, if, if that's all we've got, I, I think we're going to walk out of here not tuned up, but, but depressed and even despairing. Where is the hope? What's Jesus doing? Well, the key is to go back to the very start of the passage where Luke tells us that Jesus when it was time for him to be lifted up, he set his face towards Jerusalem. Well, what's he going to do in Jerusalem for you and I? Where's he going? 
He's going there for all of us who have divided loyalties and get too passive sometimes in our discipleship, who look back. The key is knowing where Jesus is going and what he's going to do. Because there he's going to go to the cross for you and I and take our sin and passivity and lack of commitment and all of that on to the cross with him and give us all of his righteousness. The key is that Jesus sometimes preaches the law so that you will go to the gospel. He is the gospel. He preaches the law, but he is the gospel. And so we go with him to the cross and freedom is actually found in following Jesus to the cross. It's not our following that sets us free. It's following Jesus who went to that moment, to that city, to die for our sins and be raised for our righteousness. Do you see what this means? Do you feel unfit? Thanks be to God. You are. But in Christ, you are made right and fit and into the kingdom of God. Do you feel like you don't have a place because this or that or I'm this or this or whatever, whatever it is, gets swept away and you are made fit, you are made right, you belong here, you have this place. That is the good news. Getting a little long here, but we got to finish up. We can't, we can't leave it here. We could probably, but what about our commitment and zeal then, now that we've been made fit in Christ? Notice the second reading today. That the work of the flesh, all that turned inward garbage and stuff, is work. It's stuff we do. But the good stuff, the fruit, it's all one fruit, lots of tastes of that fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all of that. Um, it's not a work. Did you catch that? What is it called? Fruit. You got a good tree you're going to have the fruit. You see, when you are brought in in the faith of your baptism and in the Lord's Supper today, and you realize, wow, God has made me fit in Christ. Um, it's like God has made you this beautiful tree. Well, the fruit is going to happen. You're going to start seeing needs around, and you're going to step into there and do those, and you're going to keep caring for your family and those around you, and, and you're going to keep doing the little things that need to be done. I could go on and on, but we don't have time. You see, now our work is not just, because this is my concern. I could preach Jesus' words today and just put a nice yoke of slavery on you. You better, or else. Are you a lukewarmer? Are you a good enough Christian? Are you fit? I could give you a bunch of law and I'd just put the yoke of slavery right back on. But Paul says, no, we, will, we are set free. We are set free from the law. So now we look to Christ, we see what he did for us, and we go, oh, wow, what do I get to do today? Who can I love? Who can I care for? Who can I... Uh, extend the hand of Christ to who can I share the good news with today well that's the way it works thanks be to God amen